So thank you so much for allowing me to share with you over these four Sundays. I've greatly enjoyed my studies in Luke's Gospel, and I hope that you've been uh, encouraged in some measure through it. I also want to say a big thank you to my friend Alistair for making the recording of this uh, uh, address uh, possible. So thank you very much, Alistair. Now, you might like to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 24. We're going to read just the last four verses, and then we're going to read a few verses in Acts chapter 1. So, in Luke 24, the heading in my Bible is the Ascension. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And then in Acts chapter 1, we find uh, uh, another account of the ascension, and we're going to read from verse 6 down to the end of verse 9. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And we'll stop there. We do pray that the Lord will bless our reading, so let's just do that together. Father, we're so very grateful for the privilege of having your Bible, because there are lots of parts of the world where people don't. And forgive us that sometimes we don't read it very often. But we thank you for the opportunity we have of looking at it this morning. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw very close to us, that you would break it into small pieces, as it were, and give us an understanding that our souls might be absolutely thrilled, overwhelmed with joy at what we discover in your word this morning. We ask these things as we say thank you in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, over the last uh, three Sundays, we've been wandering through the latter part of Luke's gospel. We went down the Via Dolorosa. We thought about some of the surprises we met on that road. And then we moved on to Easter Sunday and we thought about the crucifixion and the resurrection. How wonderful was that? And then last Sunday we got to be in that locked room with the disciples and we listened to Jesus as he began to teach them. Well, I suspect that the disciples uh, at this point were beginning to wonder, what's next? What's next? Jesus has risen from the dead. Maybe he's going to set Israel free and get rid of the Romans. Maybe he's going to establish the kingdom of God on earth, and it's going to be so exciting. What next? Well, we only have four verses to go, um, but what important verses they are. The ascension didn't take place on Easter evening, but 40 days later, that's what it says in verse 3. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Well, we know that the Lord had uh, appeared and spoken to Mary Magdalene. He'd then spoken to the two on the Emmaus Road. Uh, 
Uh, and then on Easter Sunday evening, he also appeared uh, to the disciples. We remember that Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but Thomas wasn't there. And then a week later, Jesus appeared, and Thomas was present. And then he appeared to some of the disciples when they were fishing. But there were other appearances of Christ. We made references reference to them last Sunday. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me, Paul writes, as to one abnormally born. So he appeared to Cephas, to Peter. And I find it really interesting, as we mentioned last, uh, last week, that Jesus had a one-on-one -on -one with Peter. And we have no record of what transpired in that conversation. But I suspect it would have been really exceedingly interesting. Well, we read in verses 4 to 5, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, now Christ's conversation with the apostles must have been extraordinary. It, it may even have led to all-night conversations. In fact, I think it probably did. They might have been saying, well, what's this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is Jesus going to take us back to the Jordan to, to rebaptize us? Will we hear a voice from heaven like Jesus did? Now, the rabbis said that the restoration of Israel's political fortunes would be marked by the revived activity of God's Spirit. So now some of the disciples burned with a hope that Jesus would set Israel free and establish a, a theo a political theocracy. Would they be given supernatural powers? I wonder, did Peter uh, want to walk through walls just like the master had done? Well, we're not told. What would their duties be? Certainly, each one would have a special mission marked with extraordinary power and great success. They were forbidden to leave Jer Jerusalem for now, but then how long before this would happen? Well, Jesus said that in a few days they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I don't think they could wait. What amazing days they were. Well, look at verses 6 to 8. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, these were the Lord's final words. And he tells us what the disciples' mission is. In fact, he tells us what our mission is. And our mission is to be his witnesses. And a witness is, is simply someone who recounts what they have seen or heard. 
and we are to be his witnesses. And where are we to be his witnesses? Well, the answer is everywhere, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are to be his witnesses everywhere in every age. Well, let's move on and think for a moment about the ascension. Luke 24, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Well, the last thing the Lord did for his people was to bless them. Isn't that interesting? And the tense used here seems to indicate that Jesus uh, went up, uh, ascended slowly. Absolutely amazing. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him uh, from their sight. It's difficult for us to imagine what it was like for the disciples who were not uh, sophisticated in that they were not used to the special effects that we're used to. And as Jesus ascended, a cloud hid him. Well, this cloud was the Shekinah glory. It was the visible representation of the pleasure and presence of God. It was the same luminous presence that Moses had encountered on Sinai when God covered him and he saw its afterglow. And remember when God had uh, been with Moses, uh, Moses' face shone. It was the same cloud that traveled before the Israelites by day and the pillar of fire by night. It was the cloud that lay over the tabernacle and filled the temple. It was the glorious cloud that Ezekiel saw depart from the east gate. It was the shimmering presence that surrounded Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when his face shone forth like the sun. The disciples remained transfixed as the Shekinah moved farther away. As the distance increased, their dazzled countenances began to fade. Their eyes dimmed, and they could hear Jesus no more. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Absolutely extraordinary. And then Luke concludes his Gospels with these two verses. Just says, then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. I think they stayed in the temple because that was where God was deemed to dwell, and they just wanted to be close to God. And the first thing the Lord's people did was to worship him. Now, blessing and worship go together, for when we worship him, he blesses us. This ascension was the moment the gospel had been moving towards. In chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, we read this little verse, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Oh yes, 
He, he knew the cross was in front of him, but he knew that beyond the cross there was the ascension. And so he set out to head to Jerusalem with the ascension in mind. Now there is truth here which is absolutely wonderful if we can grab hold of it. What happened next? Well, we have his exaltation. Now, if you have read the Bible and thought about it a little bit, you will know that there are three passages that give us concentrated teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. The technical term is there, the Christological passages. We read in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that God is invisible. And the second thing it tells us is that if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus because he's the image of the invisible God. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, we read that he is the exact representation of his being. How wonderful. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. But then the third passage is in Philippians chapter 2. And this is a very wonderful passage because it teaches us about Jesus and his journey from heaven to earth. You see, from eternity past, Christ was determined to rescue us. Now we learn about, firstly, his humility in heaven. Look at verse 6 of Philippians 2. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Christ viewed his equality with God as qualifying him for his humble descent to save his people by becoming a perfect sacrifice. Humility in heaven. And the next verse tells us about his humility in coming to earth. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He fully identified with mankind by stepping as deity into humanity and becoming a servant. How extraordinary. And then we read about his humility in death. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Nothing could be lower to die on a cross, the lowest form of execution. Now we note, and it's worth noting, that he humbled himself. It wasn't Herod or Pilate or the chief priests who humbled Jesus. It was Jesus who humbled himself. And what did the Father do? Well, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, we read, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. God exalted him to the highest place. Jesus is a model of humility. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we read that Jesus was teaching some religious leaders, and they were anything but humble. In fact, they were rather proud. So Jesus said to them, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So God the Father exalted Jesus because he had humbled himself. Now we remember that the night before Jesus died, he prayed in John 17, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And when Paul writes 
therefore God exalted him to the highest place, he used a word, exalted, that word that is not, doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. It's an extraordinary word. And it simply means, sometimes it's, it says, therefore God highly exalted him. But actually, it could be translated super exalted. You see, Christ received the highest exaltation. This is, I think, beyond our ability to fully comprehend. But look again, verses 9 to 11 of Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Well, I don't know if as a student of the Bible you know how many names are given to Jesus. I think there's probably about, around about 300. Lots of names. Uh, just to mention a few, there is Emmanuel, God with us, Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Almighty, Ancient of Days, the Door, the Chief Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Word, the Light, the Lamb, the Bread of Life, the Rock, the Bridegroom, and the Alpha and Omega. So what then is this name that is above every other name that God has given to Jesus when he exalted him? Well, the clue lies in the fact that this name is above every other name. It's greater than any other name conferred on Jesus. In fact, it is God's own name, Kyrios, Lord, which was used in the Greek Old Testament to represent the Hebrew word Yahweh, which was the personal name of the God of Israel. So the name given to Jesus that is above every name is indeed Yahweh, God's name which fills so much of the Old Testament. Well, how can we be sure of that? Well, in verse 11, it, it, it says, uh, every tongue and every, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So giving Jesus the name Lord is the ultimate of all honors because God says in Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. It's no one else's name. Yahweh is the name that trumps all other titles, the awesome covenant name of the God of Israel. That's the name that is above every other name. How extraordinary that is. And there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is a wonderful thing for us to be able to do that freely and willingly and joyfully today. But a time is coming, a moment is coming when the glory of God shall be revealed. And then all of those people who have no time or thought for him will have no alternative but to fall flat on their faces before his glory and his majesty and his greatness. Wow. So we ask the question, what does his exaltation mean for us? Well, in Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, please note the tenses that are used. 
God raised us up. That's the past tense, with Christ, and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is a done deal in the eyes of God the Father. And there's more in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Wow. I wonder what he's praying for us just now. That's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? It may be that you're really worried about this virus and, and health issues. Or, or, or maybe you're worried about uh, your job and, and finance for the future. Or, or maybe you've got some other kind of worry. It's an amazing thought to think that the Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what our concerns are. And he's praying for us. He's interceding for us in heaven. But there's, there's even more. In John 16, verse 7, he says, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now just imagine, had Christ risen and chosen to stay in Jerusalem, then every other place would have been deprived of his presence. We're living a long way from Jerusalem, aren't we? But with the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the hearts of every believer and gives us the power to live lives that are pleasing to him. At that moment, we believe, our hearts are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Christ comes to live within us. Is that not just extraordinary? Well, you know, these early disciples were so gripped by what they'd witnessed. We read that then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. They worshipped, they returned to Jerusalem, and uh, there was great joy, and they hung around the temple because they wanted to be near God. Well, Luke goes on to write an account of all that happened after that, in the Acts of the Apostles. But I just want to draw your attention to a little verse just at the end of the Ascension account in Acts chapter 1. Because as they had watched Jesus ascend into heaven and Jesus disappeared, verse 11 says, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven back in the same way you have seen him go. So you can just picture the scene. There were the disciples and they watched Jesus go up and all of a sudden there were two angelic beings standing beside them saying, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him. Jesus having ascended into heaven, is coming back. When is he coming back? We don't know. I wonder, have you heard of Murray McShane, who was a, a minister in a church in Dundee, a really godly man, a man whom the Lord used? Well, it is said that one, on one occasion, Murray McShane 
was in a fraternal, that is, a gathering of, of, of pastors and ministers. And he asked them the question. He said, do you think that the Lord Jesus could come back today? And these uh, men, they, they sort of smiled and they, they uh, kind of dismissed it. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't let them away with that. He kind of pinned them and he said, now tell me, do you think that the Lord Jesus Christ could come back today? And he asked them one after the other. And one said, well, may, may, maybe next year or, 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 or maybe the year after or, or, or maybe next month or one after the other they said that they didn't expect the Lord Jesus to come back very soon. And Murray McShane responded simply by quoting the scriptures to them, Matthew 24. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So let me ask you, we know that Jesus is coming back. Are you expecting him to come? Because he's going to come at a time when you don't expect him. Now, two Christmases ago, I gave my wife uh, what she described as the best Christmas present I'd ever given her. And it is, uh, if you come to our home and come into our front door, you'll just see it hanging on the wall. It's a wooden plaque with the words, perhaps today, written on it. And there's a story behind that, and I'd like to tell you that just for a moment. Very many years ago, I was pastoring a church in Suffolk, East Anglia. And on one occasion, I went out to visit an elderly couple. It was a second marriage for both of them, and they were fairly well-to-do. Now, bear in mind that this was probably about 30 years ago, maybe even a little bit more. And when I went to see them, I was asking them how they were getting on, and uh, we had all sorts of chit-chat, and they said, we've just bought ourselves a new washing machine. And I said, well, how interesting. I'm not particularly interested in washing machines, but I thought it was the polite thing to say. So they took me to show me this washing machine. And then they explained to me that it had cost them 600 pounds. Well, 600 pounds for a washing machine would be expensive today, I think. I'm not sure, but I think. But 30-something years ago, it was a huge amount of money for a washing machine. And then they said to me, oh, well, we reckon that you can't take it with you, so if you have it, you might use it. I read the scriptures and prayed with them and left, and then I went on to visit another elderly lady. And this elderly lady was a single lady. And as I knocked on the door of her house, and I'd been to visit her many times, I noticed, as usual, above the door into the kitchen, which was opposite the front door, there was this little sign that said, perhaps today. I went in and I sat down with her and chatted and read the scriptures and prayed with her. And she said to me, she said, I need some new clothes, but I'm, I can't spend money on them because every penny I have, I send to mission. And I know that's right because I used to cut stamps off envelopes and give them to her so she could sell them on in order to be able to give more to mission. And she had that sign up perhaps today. So I had that made for my wife because we'd looked in various places to see if we could get one, but we couldn't find one. So my son, who's a furniture maker, he made your communion table. He made that for me, and I gave it to my wife, and it's just a reminder that perhaps today the Lord would come back. Perhaps today 
And that brings us back to that little text that Murray McShane quoted. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So the question I want to ask you, whether you're a regular churchgoer or whether you've just dropped in for today, are you ready? Are you ready? We started off by thinking about Thomas. And we don't know why, but Thomas wasn't with the others when Jesus appeared on that first occasion. What a blessing he missed by just not being there. And I wonder what blessings you and I may have missed because we haven't been there. Perhaps we've been physically there, but not mentally there. Maybe we've been taking a mental hike somewhere and not fully engaged. Or, or maybe there's a film coming up on TV that we'd rather watch than go to the service. Or perhaps we feel comfortable hanging out in the crowd, on the edge of the crowd that's in church, but we've never actually sought to step into that place where we might meet Jesus. But that's why he came that we might meet him. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he ascended into heaven. And that's why he's coming back again to take us to be with him for the whole of eternity. What an extraordinary truth that is. I pray that as you think about these things, that the Spirit of God would lock this truth into your heart, make it come alive, that you might determine in your hearts to be the best that you can be for him. And it might start with engaging with the scriptures by doing that little Bible study as a, as a way into the word of God because we so need to know what God's heart is. And God's heart is in the pages of this book. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much that we've been able to spend these Sundays looking at the last part of Luke's Gospel. And we thank you for the marvelous thought that Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, is coming back. What will it be like, O oh Lord, for us to see you? to look into your eyes, to see the beauty of your face. Maybe you have some laughter lines, I don't know, around, around your eyes. But oh, to see you, to be utterly captivated by your beauty and to be able to sing new songs of praise and worship that will bring honor and glory to your name. Oh Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help us. Give us a glimpse of the possibilities and grant that we might be able, with the help of the Spirit, to press on to be the best that we can be for you. Pour out your blessing, Father, on Hamilton Baptist Church family. Give the leadership real wisdom and grant, Father, that it might be a community of encouragers 
a community where Christ is known, a community that makes such a noise about Jesus that the sound of rejoicing will carry out beyond the walls into the town to impact lives. May it be so, Lord. We say thank you, Father. Bless these folks, because we ask it in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.